We have uh, covered half of this chapter, very famous passage of Scripture, the Shepherd Psalm, and today we come to verse number four, and arguably the most famous verse inside of this chapter of Scripture is verse number four, and I want us to uh, read the entire psalm together, uh, verses one through six, and then we'll uh, jump into verse number four this morning. So Psalm 23, the Bible says in verse number one, and I think that most all of us have probably heard this psalm before, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We don't know when exactly David wrote this psalm. Maybe it was early in life. Maybe it was later in life. I like to think that possibly David walked into the valley to face Goliath on that, on that really scary day, and he whispered to himself, verse number four, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This morning we're going to tackle this idea from verse number four. And if I could put it all in a, in a really terse way, I would say it this way. Presence plus protection equals peace. What I think David is trying to get at is that the Lord's presence plus the Lord's protection is yielding a peace inside of his heart and inside of his life that really is unsurpassed. So this thought of presence plus protection equals peace it was illustrated to me just last week. We, my wife and I, uh, many of you know, moved to Natrona Heights here uh, two weeks ago and are getting settled in. And uh, we took some cookies to our neighbors last uh, Sunday afternoon to the neighbors closest to us. So my wife made some cookies and we're taking them around. And we got to the last uh, stop and I uh, gave them some cookies and a guy answered the door and kind of outran this dog that I don't know what type of dog it is. I'm not uh, my wife and I were not really pet people, so I don't know the breed, but it wasn't small and it wasn't big. It was like a medium-sized dog. And the guy kind of tried to put his leg out, but not really. And it was a happy-go-lucky sort of dog. And it ran out, and here I'm, I'm holding, or maybe my wife's holding Willow, and Brennan is kind of right there, and who's two and a half. And this dog runs out and is happy, and Brennan's happy to see it, and he loves dogs, and he's all elated, until the dog decided to try to lick his face. And in Brennan's mind, he's thinking, like, this dog is going to swallow my head. Like, it's trying to, it's a little lion, like it's a baby lion, it's trying to eat me. And he screamed, I mean, this scream that was just blood-curdling, immediately started to cry. Of course, that's weird and awkward, and this neighbor, and he's feeling bad, and we're feeling weird. But uh, he's screaming right there, so just instinctively, I kind of pick him up and turn my back to the dog and begin to just tell him things like, it's okay, daddy has you, you're safe, the dog's not going to hurt you, I'll protect you, just instinctively begin to tell him that. And I, what I was doing, what I was saying was, Brennan, my presence with you and my protection for you from this dog should give you a peace. It should, it should dry your tears, it should calm the waters inside, it should, presence plus protection from me, your dad, your father, should give you a peace inside. 
And when David comes to verse number 4 of Psalm 23, this is in a nutshell, this is what he's telling us. And David makes a a grand shift between verse number 3 and verse number 4 of Psalm 23. Verses 1, 2, and 3, he speaks in the third person, and he's saying that he does this, and he does that, and he leads me, and he guides me, and he feeds me, talking, hey, this this is what my shepherd does, bragging on the Lord. But verse number four, he shifts over to second person and begins to talk directly to God and begins to say that thou art with me and and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me and thou preparest a table before me. He begins to have this dialogue with God and a real shift in the emotion of this psalm. And it's been said of this verse, verse number four, I mentioned this block quote in I think our first uh, sermon in Psalm 23 some six or seven weeks ago. But it's been said of this particular verse that it sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It's poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, the captives in dungeons, the widows in their pinching grief, the orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It's visited the prisoner and broken his chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It's made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. This thought of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And David starts the psalm with this phrase that jumps out at us and is such beautiful language that, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is David saying here? David is really giving us a picture of what happens in a real life flock in a shepherd's life, that many times to lead a flock from pasture to pasture, you would go through a valley. And as you go through that valley, it's a place of danger. There are jagged cliffs on the side. It gives predators a coyote or a wolf or a mountain lion a vantage point over the flock or maybe even some other person who wants to steal some of your flock for themselves. It gives them a vantage point. And it's a, it's a place of danger to lead someone through. In this valley, a shadow is cast from the mountain or from the hill. And literally, it's a dark place. There's a shadow in this valley. It's a valley of death that's dangerous. And David is saying, although I am in some really scary territory, although I'm in a place where I should fear and my heart should trouble and I should be afraid of what's surrounding me, although I'm there, I don't fear. I have a comfort. I have a peace that is gripping me despite being in a spot where I should be fearful. And David is saying this is, it's scary, yes, but at the same time it's not because there's this presence and protection. And, and David uses this language of the shadow of the valley of death. And we oftentimes use this in a death scenario. In the hospital room, on the deathbed, at the funeral, we employ the psalm and we employ it rightfully so. It's a very valid application to take this and for it to minister to our hearts during those days where, where death comes because, honestly, what is there in life that grips our hearts and causes more fear than death? What scares us greater than the thought of saying goodbye one day? There are very few things that can grip our hearts the way that death can. In a real way, it. It, it, it enslaves us and kind of encapsulates us, but at the same time, we like to push it far from our minds, and we don't want to think about it, and we want to think that, oh, that's so far future. And this thought of death and death's shadow is what David specifically says is something that should encourage us. 
Because David says this is a shadow of death. In order for a shadow to be present, you need two things. You need substance and you need light. There has to be a substance. And there is a substance to death. There is something there that should, in its natural form, scare us. The substance of death, to be separated from God, is a scary thought indeed. But for a Christian who knows the light, who knows Jesus Christ, that was the true light, John 1 tells us, and that was the light of men. For a Christian who knows the light, the substance is no longer valid in our life. It's only the shadow of death. This is why Paul could come to 1 Corinthians 15, and he could literally almost taunt death because he knew you can't touch me, only your shadow can. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and see this passage of Scripture with me which is beautiful and powerful. It's even on the back of your connection card that I would recommend throughout the week maybe you read this chapter and you consider what Paul is saying. We refer to this chapter as the resurrection chapter where Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus, yes, but he also talks about the resurrection that awaits us and he comes to the end of this, the resurrection, the conquering death, and this is what he says in verse number 54 of 1 Corinthians Uh, chapter 15. Paul says in verse number 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, talking about one day future, heaven, then shall be be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, and now he starts this taunt almost. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of this thought that death is swallowed up in victory, in light of this thought that the sting of death is gone, in light of that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know, your uh, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul says, in light of this thought that the sting of death is gone, that the grave is swallowed up in victory, that we literally only get to pass under the shadow of death, in light of that, this should springboard us into praise. This should springboard us into action. This should be a catalyst and a motivator for us to know that our work is not in vain. This life is not all there is. There is a hello after goodbye. And that death ultimately is defeated in Jesus Christ. I read recently of, of a, a Presbyterian pastor who pastored for uh, some years in Philadelphia. He passed away back in 1960. But early in life, his uh, wife died. He had several children, and they were driving home from uh, the funeral. And he was seeking to comfort the children in light of all that had happened with their mother and with her death. And as they were driving, a large truck passed them, and its shadow was cast over top of the car. And as they drove Donald Barnhouse looked at his children and said, would you rather be run over by that truck or be run over by its shadow? And the children said, well, run over by its shadow, Daddy. The shadow can't hurt us. And Barnhouse looked at his children and said, the truck of death ran over Jesus 2,000 years ago so that now today for us, only its shadow can pass over us. There is no sting in death. There is no fear in death. That there is a victory that we get to experience there. And that is a truth that comforts the child of God, to know that the shadow of a dog can't bite, the shadow of a sword can't kill, and the shadow of death cannot harm me. 
that death literally stands on the roadside as I travel through life and only can cast a shadow on me and cannot touch me because death has been defeated, hell has been defeated. Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, which we just sang about, through his resurrection, has defeated death, and that motivates us. That's an exciting thought. That's why when we come to Easter two months from now, it seems a long way away, but it's not. Two months from now, we'll come to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and we will celebrate. We will have a celebration and a recognition that Jesus Christ has defeated death and hell. That for as we as Christians do not have to fear it. We only experience the shadow, and that is something that is beautiful to the Christian. This is why we'll make such a big deal of Easter weekend. I know that most churches do, but here we'll go bananas on Easter weekend. We'll have a good Friday service. We will we'll, uh, look at the cross and we'll remember and we'll reflect. On Saturday, we'll have an Easter egg hunt with kids and it'll be a lot of fun. And Saturday, there'll be a couple services that happen that day and we're just going to celebrate. We're going to sing and praise the Lord and preach that death is defeated and baptize people all day long and just have a grand time that we can celebrate death is defeated. This is why we'll put a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of planning and a lot of preparation. Even this week, a lot of it has happened for Easter weekend. There's even, believe it or not, on the back of your connection card today, there's a spot where you can sign up. Some of you have asked me, we do Faith That Works around here uh, roughly once a month. Faith That Works, if you don't know what it is for a church family, is a way for us to put our faith into action and to actually do something. And we do a variety of different things. It depends on, on the day. So sometimes just recently we were cleaning here. We were in ICUs ministering to families in ICUs and nursing homes ministering there. Sometimes we just go to a public place and set up shop with lemonade and water and just give it out and say we love you in Jesus' name. It depends on what we're going to do. But this, this year, April the 1st and April the 8th, some of you have asked me, we have two faith that works back to back, like two Saturdays in a row. Like, was that a typo? I don't think that we can do two of those in a row. Is that okay? And we're going to do two of them back to back, the first and the eighth. And the goal of that day is that we'll, we'll take door hangers and go put them on doors all over our community, Sarver, Natrona Heights, Lower Borough, New Kensington, all over, literally 20,000. I know that's a lot. That sounds like a lot. But 20,000 of them we will put in our community why, why would we do that? Why would we spend the money on that? Why would we tell you, take part of your Saturday, come on a faith that works, pass out some door hangers, you know, today on your connection card, check, oh yeah, I'll do one of those, or I'll do both of those. Why do that stuff? Because death has been defeated. Because death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is gone. And that is powerful. That is, that is that's not just powerful, that's essential. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. If he didn't actually defeat death, if he didn't actually triumph over it and show that he was Lord over it, then all of this amounts to nothing. But the good news is he did. He triumphed over death, and we celebrate this thought that David breathes into here in Psalm 23, that it's the shadow of death, that death actually cannot touch us, that the sting is gone, that it is swallowed up in victory, which means, implication for me today is, there's no guilt in this life and there's no fear in death that I do not have to live in fear of death one day because it's been defeated by Jesus Christ. So David says, I'm walking through this valley, the valley of the shadow of death, and then he makes this statement, which is a powerful statement, I will fear no evil. I'm in a scary spot, but I'm not scared. David, why is that? Why are you not scared? What is giving you a peace and a comfort to your life? What has cured your disease of fear? And David says, here's what it is. For thou art with me. 
David says, I know as a sheep that I'm walking and my good shepherd is there shepherding my life with me, guiding me, loving me, helping me. David says, I don't take confidence in what I can do on my own. I don't, as a sheep, look and say, I have strength and I have power and I have ability and I'll ward off the attacker. He says, no, I take confidence that you're there. I take confidence that your presence is there, that you're here to help me, and that I can rest inside of you. Isn't this what has disannulled fear all throughout the Bible? What does the Lord tell Joshua in Joshua 1 where he takes over the reins from Moses and it's scary, and it's tough, and they're about to go fight some battles. And the Lord comes to Joshua, and what does he tell him? Joshua chapter 1, verse number 9 of Joshua, he says, Joshua, have not I commanded thee? Look, bud, have not I already told you this? He says, here's my command. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? Why can I be strong? Why can I be of good courage? Why should I not be afraid or dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Joshua, no, my presence is with you. My power is with you. I'm walking alongside of you. I'm doing this journey. I'm doing life with you, and you have my help. This is what Jesus used to comfort the disciples. John 14, he comes to them, and he tells them he's going away, and Jesus goes into the dissertation of, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and uh, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And normally... We cut it there, and we end with just, he's going away, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself. But he continues three or four verses later, and Jesus tells those disciples, also, I'm going to send you a comforter, the spirit of truth, verse 8, 9 of John chapter 14. I'll send you the spirit of truth, and he will abide with you forever. He will dwell, dwell with you and shall be in you. Look, guys, I'm leaving, but I'm still with you. You still have my presence. This is what he says in the Great Commission, the end of Matthew. Matthew ends his gospel with this thought that you should go, you should win people to the Lord, you should baptize them, and you should teach all nations to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, what? I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. And Matthew just says, amen, I'm done. They're putting the pen down right there. He's with us always. This should be a comfort for us, and not just, not just in a cognitive way. Not just a recognition that, yes, I understand as a Christian, the Bible says he will never leave me for, nor forsake me. Okay, you, you need to be there, but more than that, to feel his presence, to know he's with you on a day-to-day -day basis. And we, we experience this sometimes. We go, to, we go to the ocean. We go to a mountain. And sometimes when we're there, don't we feel the presence of the Lord when we look at his beauty, when we look at nature, and we can almost sense his presence? I hope that as you come to a church service on a week-to-week -week basis that there's something that it's tough to identify. It's tough to really put into words, but you just kind of sense the presence of the Lord as we sing or as we preach or as we worship. But beyond that, you need in your own life, you need, you need a spot, you need a, a daily, a weekly time where you get alone with God and you understand that His presence is there. You need those times where you're walking through the valley that's difficult. You're scared. You are, the doctor has given you the bad prognosis. The finances just really aren't in order this year. The, uh, the, the turmoil with the family, whatever it is, whatever that valley is that you're going through, that you can go to the Lord and you can say, Lord, I need you. I need to feel you. Come 
uh, hold me, help me as, as, a, as a father who scoops up his son Brennan to protect him from a little dog and to say, I'm here, I comfort you, I, I'm squeezing you, I'm hugging you, I have you. You need those moments in your life where you can go to God and you can say, Lord, help me. And he can literally scoop you up and hug you and love you and let you know, I'm here. You have my presence. You're not alone. That you're saved and I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm doing this with you. And that can administer a peace to your heart and disannul a fear greater than anything that I could ever offer you. Greater than any words or any book, anything else that someone could give is the presence of the Lord. To know that he's here, that's a comfort. And David says, I will fear no evil. I have a peace. Why? Because thou art with me. But then he says this, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I used to think of, of the rod as strictly this disciplinary tool. The, the staff, we're familiar with that, the shepherd's crook, that the shepherds even still to this day carry. Very unique to a shepherd, identifies them. But the rod, how, David, how could you getting chastised by a rod be a comfort for you? But as I've studied the life of shepherds and done my best to understand what David is, is saying, this carries much more of a connotation of protection than it does discipline. A rod for a shepherd is about a two-foot-long club, is what I'd call it. It's a, it's a little bat, basically. It's, you would, a shepherd carried a minimum of equipment. Really, a shepherd would carry maybe some sort of satchel or pouch for some bread and some cheese, things like that. But beyond that, he'd have a shepherd's staff, his crook, and he'd also have a rod. And a rod would be a little sapling tree that you would cut down and you'd go from the base up about two feet and you would use the root system and kind of whittle it down to be this almost knob or ball and then it would thin out and at the end you'd whittle it to fit your hand and a shepherd would carry a rod or a two foot long club with them as they went. Nowadays shepherds would have a crook and a gun slung across their back. They don't really carry rods much anymore if they're a real shepherd but even nowadays, modern day, uh, children of shepherds or those that are just getting into shepherding will still carry a staff, a rod, and they'll carry a rod. They will, they'll carry the little club with them because they're too young to have a gun. And even today, children will have competitions with their rods. Let's see who can throw it the furthest. Let's see who can throw it the most accurate. And that rod is something that was used to hit. It was also a weapon that they would propel through the air to try to ward off an attacker or, or something that was coming after the flock. That the rod was used to protect the sheep from all kinds of wiles, from the animals that were coming to beat the bush and make sure the snake went out and that it, the snake didn't bite the sheep. Whatever it may be, the rod was used to protect. This is what, when David comes to Saul and he wants to face Goliath, uh, Saul tells him, David, you're too young, you're too little, you can't do this. And David says, no, 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 you don't understand, the Lord's with me. And not only that, he's been with me before. I have killed a lion and I've killed a bear in, in the field to protect my flock. And David gives us a little bit of the story of how he killed the lion. He doesn't the bear, but he gives us a little bit of the story on how he killed the lion. Now, most, at least I did, I had a misunderstanding of how that was. Uh, I want you to participate with me this morning, okay? I'm going to count to three, and I want you to tell me how David killed the lion. And you understand. If you don't know, then just say, I don't know. If you do think you know, and you have an answer in your head, I want you to actually talk it back to me out loud and tell me, this is how David killed the lion, according to my Sunday school teacher when I was eight years old or whenever it was you heard the story, okay? You ready for this? You participate? Okay. On the count of three, you're going to tell me, Here's how he killed the lion. One, two, three. 
<laughs> I heard a lot of hands. I heard some sling. I heard some rod. And I heard some I don't know. I don't know if someone said something else, but that's generally, that generally, generally covers the gamut. I always thought it was a sling. You know, he's going to kill Goliath with a sling. He's like, yeah, I'll use my sling. It's my weapon. You know, it's, it's my weapon of choice. Um, when you read the story, actually, it's not what it says. David says, I killed the lion. He says, I grabbed it by its beard and I smote it. That's what he says. This was, this was close contact when I was fighting this lion. I was not, you know, 20 yards away whipping my, whipping my sling at him. This was close contact. Now, maybe David smote him with his hand and God just gave him like Hulk smash power and he just smashed the lion. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. God can do whatever he wants. Uh, I tend to think that he had a rod in his hand, that he grabbed the lion and he hit it with his rod that he carried for protection of his sheep and said, I killed a lion with my rod. Now, I can't say that for sure, but that's how, that's how I picture it. It was definitely a rod or his hand or maybe he picked up a stone. I don't know. But this is what David says. This is what I use for protection. This was the rod that, uh, and this rod, this thought of a rod and protection over my life it comforts me. It helps me. He says, thy staff. The staff that's used to gently guide and the staff that's used to, to lead the sheep on their pilgrimage and when they fall into a ditch to hook them and pull them back out and to uh, push them along the way that these tools, your rod and your staff, protection for my life, they comfort me. And what David says here is that thou art with me, presence. Thy rod and thy staff protection. They comfort me. I'll fear no evil because of this. Peace. Because of your presence, because of your protection in my life, it is producing a peace and a tranquility. And all of my anxiety and my worry is giving way to peace and to calmness internally that I can't explain other than that. I know you're with me. I know you're protecting me. I know that anything that's allowed into my life is by your sovereign hand. And I accept it and I rest in it. And this is what David's saying, and this is extremely applicable for our lives. Because it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when we'll enter that valley. And am I talking about death one day? Yeah, I'm talking about death one day, but I'm also talking about just the valleys of life that you're going to face. The death of a loved one. The financial chaos. The marriage is upside down. The kids are just, you can't figure it out the chaos at work, the family situation that's just nasty, you're going to get there. We all are. You're going to enter that valley. You're, you're going to have the health scares. You're going to go there where it could, it could be scary for you. There could be some fear there. And when we get to those valleys, the question is not if we're going to get there, because we will get there. The question is, what do I do in that time? What do, how, do, how do I get through that? How do I walk through that? Now, we like to say and think that when I get there, I'll have a confidence in the Lord and that, that it'll just be I'll, I'll rest my faith in Him and I'll, I'll abide in Him, but sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes we find that fear does begin to grip our heart, begin to affect us at the core. Sometimes we find that we get there and it's, it's less than tranquility. But in those dark days, in those valleys, in those trying times, those storms, that literally can be used probably more than anything else in your life that can be used to catapult your faith and to give you a confidence if approached the right way. If, if approaching the valley of the shadow of death with the heart of, Lord, I know you're with me. 
I know your presence is here. I know you're protecting me. I know that, that you're guiding. I know that I rest in that. I have confidence in that. Then it's very possible for the Christian to walk through that valley, head held high, confidence in Christ, knowing I'm okay. There's a peace that's resting inside of me because I know he is protecting, he is leading, he is here. I'm empowered by his presence. I'm empowered by his protection. I feel inspired so that I literally, like David, can stand and testify and say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort comfort me. My prayer for our church is that when we get there corporately, individually, familially, that as we get there, that we would have this calm assurance that anxiety and worry and fear would give way to peace because we know what? He's there. His presence. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Lo, he's with us always, even until the end of the world. And we'll also understand that he's protecting. Even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it seems like this is in my life, and Lord, if I were you, I wouldn't have allowed it. Even when that's the case, we know that his sovereign hand is guiding, that his protection is there, and it's in that that we can rest and we can say, Lord, I fear no evil. I know you're here. I delight in it, and I have a calmness that grips me because of it. 